Yo, yo, welcome in everyone. Um, what this is going to be is a very early two weeks ahead U.S. Open preview. I want to detail some of the history that took place uh, and, and the, the historical nature that is the country club at Brookline. I want to talk to I talked to a couple of people. So one person who played it as recently as six weeks ago, another person who played it hundreds of times, used to work at the sister club there. I uh, got some interesting notes to share from them, kind of walk you through um, what is a unique setup for the 2022 U.S. Open uh, and how they kind of have arranged turn 27 holes into the 18 holes that they selected to play the 2022 U.S. Open. I'm extremely excited about it. Third major of the season. Um, let's get started. So I wanted to kind of start with some, some history of the country club. One of the oldest clubs in America that was ever founded, uh, 1882, the country club was established as one of the five original charter members of what became the USGA. The other courses were Chicago golf club, Newport country club, Shinnecock Hills and St. Andrews, not the St. Andrews that you're thinking of that we're going to play the open championship a few weeks later but St. Andrews that was located in New York. Um, the piece of land, very interestingly, uh, was once a horse racing track. So they've kind of built this course on what was a polo fields. Um, fun fact, sort of when Gil Hans redid his familiar sort of historic renovation that he calls it back uh, in 2018, 2019, they found several horseshoes and clay from the original racetrack from the 1800s when excavating some of the new bunkers that he placed there on that 18th hole right outside the clubhouse where that racetrack used to sit um, was originally designed by a group of members. So um, this is a, a classical country club in every nature. They essentially worked on six holes at a time. Reese Jones headed up a redesign ahead of the 1988 U S open. And obviously I mentioned earlier, Gil hands um, and his partner Wagner were in charge of the redesign. They got boots on the ground in 2018. The majority of the work took place in 2019 and we haven't seen a big professional event since um, different than Southern Hills, but still hands, you know, he, he, like I mentioned too, he doesn't force his own style he kind of takes the soul and the roots of what was the golf course and wants to add his sort of modern twist to it that said um you will see some elements that may be familiar with southern hills we, we're hearing his name a lot he's extremely popular right now but the roots of this golf course are different um it will play different and i'll get into a little bit more of that later currently the main course is ranked as the number 17 on the 100 greatest golf courses in America. Um, that consists of the Clyde and the Squirrel course, which they call the main course. Um, those rankings, of course, from my good friend Stephen Hennessy, who works on the panel over there. Um, interesting note about the country club. This is a traditional country club in every sense, more than some of the modern golf clubs that you see. They have 14 different sports there curling skeet shooting squash like this place is blue blood old school um they have an ice and figure skating pond that sits behind the signature hole which is the third green like i mentioned blue blood members you're gonna see uh, if you look at the member list a lot of john david thomas the fourth on this list people whose families have been intertwined to this place um, from inception, notably Tom Brady, who had his mansion with Giselle basically adjacent to the course, took years before they accepted him to be a member, finally was granted membership privileges in 2017 after applying numerous times. 
Um, the membership was worried about accepting Tom Brady. Um, so they finally granted him that membership. Like I mentioned, they basically essentially live on the property. And a lot of the existing membership was apprehensive about bringing someone of his high profile into the club. They want it to be very private. Um, so just to kind of give you a little insight in the club itself. Hosted 16 USGA championships over the years, including the monumental 1913 U.S. Open, which was sort of a breakthrough in what is now American golf. Um, that was won by a kid who was an amateur who lived across the street in Francis We Met, who ended up defeating two of the more prominent professional European players. It was a big, booming, trademark event for American golf. Um, he was able to win this event in a playoff. In fact, all three U.S. Opens, 1913 won by We Met, 1963 won by Julius Boros, and 1988, which was won by Curtis Strange, were all won in playoffs, which, of course, at the time for a U.S. Open was an 18-hole playoff, which took place the next day. Um, that has been changed. So the USGA now operates, I believe it was instituted in 2018 as a two-hole aggregate playoff. Not nearly as fun as an 18-holer the next day, which of course we remember Tiger and, and Rocco uh, most recently doing it out at, uh, at Torrey Pines in 2008. It's a major that has gone the longest since its playoff. So they also had the 2013 US am here so some notable performances i know that's going back and these guys were very young but i wanted to sort of point these out winner matthew fitzpatrick won seven matches and over the first two days of stroke play shot 137 Corey connors finished fourth so he won five matches and shot 143 scotty scheffler world number one player uh finished eighth that year won four matches shot 144 xander shoffley competed in that was ninth that year, won three matches, shot 140 in stroke play. Bryson was 16th, but shot 138 in the stroke play portion. So pretty good. Only one shot behind Fitzpatrick before entering match play. Some notable miscuts, I guess you could say notable. I'm just sort of putting these out there. Uh, Cameron Young shot 145, missed the cut by a shot. Was only like 16 years old at the time, so keep that in mind. Taylor Gooch, Max Homa, Will Zalatoris, Aaron Wise, Davis Riley were some other notable missed cuts that I kind of saw on that list. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay, so let's dive into the actual course itself now that we got some of the history of the club and, and events that it's hosted in the past um, under our belts. So it rests on a unique plot of land that struck me as very unusual for what I think of as modern-day Massachusetts. It's been described as sort of a rocky prehistoric-esque terrain and when you look at some of the drone flyovers you'll see that there's sort of this blend of this northeastern meadow fescue grass with this ancient stone formations of rock that um, really makes you feel the history that is this course um, one that you can tell was originally crafted like when you look at this place you can tell it wasn't done by excavators and bulldozers and heavy machinery this is a place that was designed with pickaxes and shovels and you can really feel that when you're on the grounds of the course as we've come to know about gil hans who did the restoration um 
holds a deep responsibility to the roots and the soul of the original design. He looked at photos, as many that he could find that were clear enough to get some pictures of what the course looked like back then and performed what he has coined as his historical renovation. So the course actually is three nine-hole courses. Um, love a course with three nines. So it has the Clyde, the Squirrel, and the Primroves. Extremely fun, I'm sure, with members. The U.S. Open is going to be a composite course that is a blend of all three. So primarily the first two, the Clyde and the Squirrel, are going to make up like 14 and a half, I guess you could say, holes. And three and a half holes will come from the Primrose. Majority of courses like built during this era, right? Late 1800s, early 1900s, old school style golf courses are fairly straightforward. And, and I guess what I mean is from fairway to green. So a lot of the greens will run parallel with the fairway. So it just kind of extends along that portion and you'll see a green that runs the same way. This uniquely is not that the way this was designed. There are several, the majority of holes, in fact, have green surfaces that tilt and angle counter opposite the fairway. So it demands that you hit certain shot shapes. Um, so the way that the fairway runs, the green will often run away from that and also angle counter to that. Um, the fairway comes, basically what I mean is, so the fairway can come in right to left and the green will be angled so it slopes left to right. Um, the greens are tiny, 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 bent grass greens. They average around 4,400 square feet. Um, the only thing we see similar to that range of minute size is, is Pebble, which is a little bit smaller on the PGA Tour. These would be the second smallest greens that we see the entire year on tour. Here's what Gil Hans said um, about the greens. Quote, there's a real juxtaposition between these massive landforms and fairways weaving through them. Um, and you're almost always terminating in a tiny green. They're actually the smallest greens we've ever worked on. It's quite interesting, quite different. That's what Gil Hans said. Note. So we saw hands at Southern Hills. Here's the difference. Rough is back. Um, we are not going to see the runoffs into short grass pitching off of tight lies that we saw at Southern Hills. There will be some similarities. That's not one of them. The U.S. Open traditional rough that surrounds these greens, four or five inch rough, will be back. It will be in four fourths. It will be difficult. You are going to see pitch out sideways back into fairways. They are graduating the rough once again, like the U.S. Open typically does. So you'll see that first level of probably two and a half to three. We'll get to three on Sundays, and it's going to get worse the further out that you get. Keep that in mind. It's going to be played as a par 70, roughly 7,264 yards. Of course, that is flexible, dependent upon tee boxes. There are two par fives, one on each side, four par threes, one super unique that I'm going to talk about in a little bit and 12 holes that are par fours. So I wanted to kind of bring up the, I'm going to bring up like a little, I guess you call it slideshow here of some images um, that I wanted to kind of show. So the country club. So this is this first image that you're going to see here um, is showing the horse track and what was a polo field. So you can see that is the first and the 18th fairway that were originally designed within that track. And that sort of still maintains today. Obviously they've removed the track, but just to kind of show you some of the history, there's Francis 
we met that is in the top right there and there's a picture of the clubhouse which is still beautiful historic um looks amazing it kind of has the front of it kind of has this yellow color to it which i found was very unique um, so here's the routing that they have selected for this year um, you can kind of see that there are holes essentially that are unused within that um, that's relatively interesting there so you'll see a lot of those um, the actual course that they're using this is a fun fact, was designed by a woman at dinner in the 1950s uh, on a placemat. So I talked to Keith Stewart, um, who was a member and actually, I'm sorry, he was the PGA pro at the sister club um, to this. So he's played it hundreds of times. He knows the director of golf. He kind of gave me this little tidbit and they were trying to figure out which nines to use for the U.S. Open. That was one by Boros. And she said, why don't we just use the best 18 holes? She drew out the routing on a placemat and said we'll call it the open course and that's the routing that they're actually going to put into play this year which is kind of cool some notes i have some notes from charlie charlie i hope you're checking this out my guy cross on twitter played this a few weeks ago um, and he sent me over very kind some notes that i hope that he doesn't mind me sharing today so here's a few of them um, he said that the majority of the greens are going to slope back to front. You need to stay below the hole over is dead. Undulating greens, very puttable. So they're small. So that makes sense. We probably won't see a lot of three putts. Green complex is not overly difficult from a green reading perspective. The speed is going to be the defense. The fairways were larger than he had initially expected them to be. So it shouldn't be too big of a problem for guys that are good drivers of the ball and accurate off the tee. The majority of the holes he thought have a slight dog leg left, which could ultimately favor players who hit a draw. When I kind of looked at this routing and I went through hole by hole, um, I would say that does play out from what I saw, yet I don't see a huge advantage. It was like one or two extra holes where playing a draw could be advantageous. Um, he feel like length is the obvious advantage, but not required to play well here. Okay, so before I get to Keith's stuff, um, I'm going to kind of go hole by hole. And I have to mention that um, Derek Duncan of Golf Digest did an unbelievable flyover and hole by hole preview, which I um, combined some of the stuff that I had researched elsewhere with. So I wanted to give him credit. A lot of these images are sort of snippets from some of the drone footage that he got. But I wanted to bring a couple of important holes into play. So number one, 488-yard par four, slight dog leg left. Um, it should favor a draw out of the gates. Given the nature that the fairway was kind of constructed along that old horse track, so it basically goes down the, the long stretch and then turns where the track would have turned, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, it's one of the only holes, given that it was on the track, that is flat. Um, and everything is basically in front of you from tee to green. 488 yard par four out of the gate. Certainly not um, anything that's that's super easy, right? Here's number two. I thought was a really cool and fun par three. Um, 215 yards straight uphill the entire way. Um, it gets even longer given the climb. So it's, it's going to play longer than 215 yards. You'll notice the fairway that you can kind of see. Um, running up the green that you can kind of see it there in in the image that's on the left um, that's because this whole place is a short par four for the members 
tiny green for a hole that's this long and uphill, well protected by bunkers, um, will be difficult. Now, I wouldn't classify this. I mentioned 7,260 yards is the yards they're going to use. I wouldn't say it's a particularly long course, but it's also not short. And many of these holes, given the nature of how the rough is going to be so thick, are going to require you not to go full send, essentially, off the tee. For instance, the third hole, which is, is considered their signature hole, is a great example of this. 499 yards, long hole, um, but not obnoxious by PGA Tour standards for the par four. Here's where the difficulty is. Um, if you've ever played, you see there the, the main image is going to show the bottom of that image is the fairway at around 270-ish yards. As you get to 300, you have that narrow shoot. And this picture doesn't really do these two massive mounds a whole lot of justice if you've ever played Tobacco Road, right, the first hole um, is kind of like this. You have the two massive mounds and you have kind of a hallway that goes in between the two that you need to aim your tee shot at. This is kind of that, but not straight. So it's weaving the entire way slightly to the right. The problem if you lay back into this shorter stuff is you're totally blocked out by these mounds. Your second shot is ne nearly blind. The width of this, the middle of this fairway between the mounds at around 300 yards is nine yards wide, guys. Um, pace out nine yards. That's insane to hit something 300 yards into that sort of green. The green, as you can see right behind it, um, careens down right into that water that makes up the ice skating rink that they use uh, during the winter months. But it will, like, it's firm. And if you're far away coming in with a long iron and you get a hot bounce, it's going to run right over that cart path and into the hazard. Difficult hole um, will be one of the most fun uh, for sure. Number five, 310-yard par four. So I went back to the Ryder Cup. A lot of these guys are going to try to drive this hole. However, the green is literally minuscule. Um, laying back is not necessarily easy on that hole. The fairway, if you lay back to 100 yards, slopes massively left to right. So you're going to be on a side hill where if you're a right-handed player, the ball is going to be well below your feet, which makes hitting that shot in um, difficult, hard. You want to push it to the right. Number eight, this is the first par five that you get. Um, beautiful golf hole here, short, right? 555 yards, but short doesn't necessarily always mean easy. Plays uphill essentially the entire way from fairway to green. Second shot is going to be into a small green. Anything short that you hit that doesn't carry onto that surface is going to roll all the way back down to your feet, probably 50 yards out. And you're going to have to hit a totally blind chip shot to an elevated green. You can kind of see that in that top right picture there. Um, the third picture on the bottom right is looking at it from a little farther behind, give you just an idea of how uphill and small the surface you're going at is. Hitting a blind shot where you can't even see the flag stick from 50, 60 yards out is difficult and can turn this from a potentially um, easy birdie hole into, into a par. It's just going to make it very, very tough. Um, number 10, this is a really cool golf hole that they nicknamed the Himalaya. So this played as a par 5 in the, in the Ryder Cup. You can see the first image there. The bigger one is going to be the tee shot that comes downhill. Now, this hole just... The way it maneuvers is so cool and swivels 
back and forth, kind of like a snake. Um, you can just tell that it doesn't have that smooth, elegant nature that a golf course designed today with excavators and bulldozers would have. They really used the the contour of the land. The picture that you see there, if you're watching this on YouTube, in the top right is looking back from the green up the fairways. You see the rock formations. Like you get stuck on one of those, you're screwed unless you're Davis Love in the Ryder Cup. Look up that shot. Um, but very fun hole going uphill back into a, a another tiny green. Um, it, it's it's just a wildly fun golf hole. The fescue kind of covers a lot of that rock incoming, and then you'll see the face of it on the backside. Looks prehistoric. Looks ancient. Looks cool. Looks the country club. Like this hole kind of encompasses a lot of that. Okay, number eleven. Hole's going to get a ton of attention, and it rightfully should. Not often in the U.S. Open are they going to play a difficult par three from 130 yards. This year they are. The last couple of times, so they played this hole back when uh, originally when Francis we met one, and the professional players hated it. Um, they were highly critical of this hole. This was essentially the reason why he won. I believe he picked up two strokes on both guys on this hole. And they were critical of it. You can't have a hole this short in what was a U.S. Open championship. Like, it's it's called a Redan, and it's kind of a tabletop, but it's just the name of it. I wouldn't necessarily, um, I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily label it that. Uh, but it's going to be difficult. Like, you miss long, you miss left. Getting up and down from the rough on this tiny green that I mentioned is like an upside-down bowl is going to be very, very difficult. Um, protected on the left side, incoming by bunkers and short by bunkers. It can play 142 yards. It can play 102 yards. I hope they put a front pin and move the tee up a bit so it plays as a 100-yard shot one day. I think that they will. It's going to require the ultimate control and just a fun, unique hole that um, – we don't see a ton of holes like anymore on the PGA Tour. Number 13. So this is an interesting one. So the look on the left image there is going to be of the fairway. So you actually tee off. This is a composite hole that doesn't actually exist on any of these courses. It's a long par four, 460 yards. Uh, but what's unique about this is you play from one tee box into one fairway. And what you'll see if you look at that top right image that I have. So the, the front green that you're going to see on the bottom portion of the image is the way this hole traditionally plays. They are playing this hole to that back green, which is about half the size, which is normally a par three. You can kind of see that tee box there that plays over the water. Um, from the other course, this gave players fits the last time that they used this. I think Arnold Palmer was in that playoff with Julian Boros and made triple here. Um, it's difficult. You have to go into a tiny green with a long club, and now you're playing over water into a hole surrounded by bunkers versus the members play it as this sort of front green here with, with no bunkers and water is only long. It's going to be hard. We could see some, some fun stuff there. Now, another composite hole. This is going to be the signature par five. 
Number 14, now consisting of 619 yards. So back when they played the Ryder Cup there, this was a shorter par four. That said, nobody made par on it. Like, it was almost impossible then. There's going to be a forced carry off the tee box that, you know, not too many guys are going to have problem carrying it to the fairway. The problem is if you miss. So this, if you look at this middle image, this where you see the fairway end and the next one begin is a drastic, like, upward shot. Um, Keith Stewart, who I talked about, described it as hitting it uh, up onto the roof of a Walmart from the fairway. If you can't get it in the fairway with your first, you're likely going to have to chip out back into this first fairway. So you're not able to get it up onto this second plateau that gives you an angle and a view of the green. Therefore, if you're hitting your third from the first fairway because it required a chip out, it is a totally blind shot. You can't even see the green. Um, the director of golf described it as one of the most difficult two-tiered smallish greens on the course. If you aren't on that upper level plateau, which even to get there, if you're in the fairway, is 525 yards just to get to the front of it uphill. That's to leave yourself a wedge in. Uh, I there could be some guys that get it there in two. I don't know if the risk is worth the reward. I'm sure there always is. These guys, we always see these long par fives, and we're like, no one's going to get there. I remember Southern Hills thinking that, and then guys are getting there, right? They could play with the tee boxes. Uh, still going to be difficult. I think that this is probably going to be a, a deciding hole come down the stretch, which is really unique. Now, number 15 is a 500-plus yard par four long wide fairway you're coming sort of over these rock bluffs um interesting the, the entrance road to the clubhouse kind of runs directly through the middle of that fairway um they did expand that green quite a bit when hans did the renovation because they knew they were going to push it back to around 500 yards so he had to give them a little bit more green to work with 16 his closing stretch is going to be electric 16 is an uphill 200 yard plus par three that is all carry and has devilishly like deep greenside bunkers. That said, you'd rather be in those than be in the rough. And I think that that's going to be a consistent point throughout this course. Anytime you're at a U.S. Open, these players would much rather play from the sand, no matter what the lie, than play from the rough and essentially have to, to chunk and run at 17. 17 is a cool hole. Do I, I just have 18 left here, but 17 um, is going to be one of the most famous birdie holes that, that you will all remember when you see it. It's only 373 yards. It's a sharp dog leg right to left. Um, the longer hitters or guys who can play a draw uh, will essentially have the opportunity to cut the corner there and give themselves a great look at birdie. Been a number of historic birdies on this hole throughout the years the different U.S. Opens, and you will remember probably the most famous celebrated putt to, to, to have a match and win ultimately a Ryder Cup in history when this is the spot where the place went bananas after Justin Rose hold that uh, what was essentially a lag putt across the green and, and hold it to, to secure the Ryder Cup comeback for the United States in those ridiculous shirts. The place went nuts. You know Boston gets into it. Um, that'll be a fun hole that probably if you're looking for an opportunity, it provides it, right? You can go make birdie there if you want. 18, 
451 yard closing par four, relatively flat. So you're really the only flat holes that you're going to get are number one and number 18. Um, may look relatively pedestrian and serene, but it's anything but. You're playing back uh, up the old racetrack toward the clubhouse. Um, left has those bunkers sort of protecting it. What Keith said to me really stuck, and he described it as, you're dead if you're in the rough, rough, and you should consider just laying up out of there to get to a decent yardage so that you can play with a wedge from the fairway because the green is shallow it's tiny. If you're coming in with anything shorter than an eight iron, it's almost impossible to hold it there. Now it's protected in front by what you'll see in that top right. That is like a scallop bunker. So it comes all the way up, probably higher than the player's heads that are going to be in it. That's going to protect right in front of it. Like I said, if you hit it in the green coming out of the rough or with a longer incoming club, you're likely to end up behind the green and then having to work against the the slope coming back down. Going to be a difficult closing par. Um, he said it was the perfect microcosm of the challenge that is presented by the country club. So good stuff there. I hope that, that gave you a little bit of insight into um, some of the looks that we're going to see from a lot of the different golf holes. Like I mentioned, I talked to, to Keith Stewart, who was the head pro over at Brayburn, he runs the Read the Line newsletter. He's got his own podcast. He's on ESPN in New Jersey with the Pro Show. He does fantastic content. Make sure that you check him out and read the lines. Uh, but like I mentioned, he was the head pro over at Brayburn, which is their sister club. He's played this literally hundreds of times. Here were his sort of notes that he sent me, and I hope this is helpful to you. Aggressive, natural terrain, bunkering, no depth, not a lot of room to stop the ball if coming out of the rough. If you don't hit fairways, you really have to consider just laying up back into the fairway and trying to get up and down on your third shot. Short game, he said, will be equally important here as it was at Southern Hills. That said, totally different dynamic of short game. Um the greens are different, but mostly it's going to be coming out of five-inch rough and not coming off short, tight lies. It's going, we're going to look at guys who chip well uh, out of thick rough, like Patrick Reed comes to mind, maybe some guys that play around the greens at Riviera. I asked him for course comps, and the one that he and I both kind of agreed on, like TPC Potomac, <coughs> not a bad comp. Um, due to the elevation changes, due to how tight some of the holes were, due to how this thing plays. Homa, Cameron Young, Rory, like these are the guys who played well there, I think could play well again here. Southern Hills, he said, is a decent comp. You just have to understand the nuances of the difference. But rewarding shot making and creativity, we could see a lot of the leaderboard crossover, he said. So while it's different, um, players like Justin Thomas, players like Will Zalatoris, players like Mito, Cameron Smith, these guys who are really creative, um, Gil Hans tends to reward that type of player, and that's what he wants to see. He told me that, that Gil, he knows him a little bit, but he loves shot making, and he would have been a huge fan of like Seve, and probably not a fan of like Faldo. So these players who, um, I don't know if this is the right word, but are robotic in a sense. I'm thinking like Morikawa, Hovland, like those aren't the type of players that he wants his course to reward. He wants Justin Thomas's. 
He wants Cameron Smith's like the players that have the ability to hit a bunch of different shots and really think and be creative. Um, that's the type of player that Gil Hans really likes. Some other courses that he mentions, Aronimink, Oakmont. I thought those were both interesting comps. Riviera, he said, but none of these, um, even Southern Hills, even Riviera, which you think of that big uphill climb on 18, none of these possess the type of elevation ups and downs that this course is going to to have next um, in a few weeks here. So he also mentioned that he talked to Jason Gore and John Bodenheimer, who have been key elements uh, in um, effectively choosing the setup. So they are definitely going with this graduated rough. So look into um, how far is your guy miss it off the fairway. If he's missing fairways, um, good drives gained is a good stat for this. Like distance from fairway is a good stat from this. Like Corey Connors is fantastic at this where if you look at when he does miss, how close is he to the fairway? Playing out of two-inch rough versus four-and-a-half-inch rough is going to be a big difference. These guys who hit it really far, if you're one or two degrees offline with your contact point, you're 40 yards right of the fairway, and it's trees, it's rocks at times, it's five-inch rough. It's going to be tough for them. Um, I think accuracy is going to be important, but as always with the U.S. Open, power matters. So even though this course is only 7,200 yards, you may not hear a ton of it, but I do think that um, distance off the tee is going to be a factor. You just got to keep it straight. Not really going to concern, and he said this as well, too much about putting. Don't worry about three-putt avoidance. Greens are so small, 4,400 square feet on average. Um, your hardest putts are going to be maybe like the short ones, five, six footers. So maybe looking at that, um, chunk and run, like you're going to have to play a lot of those out of the rough around the green. It's not going to be these little nippy ones that you saw a lot at Southern Hills. Um, you're going to have players that like think of Memorial, like the rough this week that we're seeing now as Memorial takes place when I'm recording, this is a lot going to be like the rough there, except even more severe. So you'd rather, just like at Memorial, you'd rather be in a greenside bunker than the greenside rough. Now, another note, 175,000 tickets, and this thing is sold out. Um, a Boston-esque crowd can tend to really get behind their guys and get rowdy. So a Northeast contingent of players, I expect to have a, a lot of support. And, and let's think about Boston for a second, right? Heavy irish contingent they will be out in full force the the drinks will be flowing um keith mentioned that he's going with a bunch of irish guys and they're going to get behind and support and get raucous for rory and shane lowry i expect them to have a ton of support how they deal with that um, is kind of up to them and i'm going to leave you with this and keith kind of brought it up and i thought that it was very interesting um he said that he's so excited to see this place because we haven't, we're not going to see a place like this on from the television and the drone shots in a long time. And we haven't, um, it's going to show on TV, like nothing that we've seen. So he, this is a comparison that he kind of made. I hope I'm saying it right. So Augusta is classically appealing in a way to the eye that we just love seeing visually. It's beautiful. It's Augusta is the clean-shaven, high-and-tight, stunning, beautiful, elegant golf course. This is going to be equally as beautiful, but in a 
different way. So this is like beautiful in a sense of like the modern day person with the five, six day uh, stubble, patchy beard, woke up, underslept, maybe had four or five whiskeys the night before, but still picturesque and awesome to the eye. And people are going to absolutely love it. I cannot wait um, for the 2022 U.S. Open. It's going to be another fantastic event and an epic run of golf that we're on. I'll be back as we get a little bit closer to talk about um, really honing in on the stats that I think are most important and the players that I like and I want to bet. Thank you for checking this out. My name is Joe Idoni. Please subscribe to the Preferred Lines podcast if you're checking this out on YouTube or you're listening on iTunes. I hope that this was helpful in giving you an early stroll through the country club and what is going to be a fantastic 2022 U.S. Open. Thank you all once again. I'll see you soon. You know the deal. Peace.